This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Right. Hello. Welcome to this is not another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast, even though technically it is. But this is something that is very left of center. And uh, some of you might not like it. Some of you may love it. Some of you may be indifferent towards it. And I totally get that. But this is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is an experiment. This is me obviously having fun on a microphone, inviting you along on this this fun journey. And uh, as you know, the past, uh, I don't know, couple months, I've been doing these sort of uh, friendversations where it's a, you know, a light conversation about uh, some general topics, usually obviously in and around this sort of music world. And um, I hope you've been enjoying that. I've been really focused on trying to do one of these episodes a month. And this is, is very left of center because this is going to be a show talking basketball. I love basketball. I love college basketball. I love professional basketball. And, um, you know, I, mean, I know some of you that obviously know me know that I enjoy the sport. But those of you who just listen to the show, maybe, you know, you get bits and pieces of it here or there. But I just had an idea that, you know what, uh, one of the recent guests on this show, we have forged a very strong bond when it comes to our mutual love for basketball. That's Benny Horowitz, the drummer of the Gaslight Anthem, who appeared on the show, I don't know, maybe less than a month ago, month and a half ago. And him and I were texting and I was kind of like, you know what, this would be fun to do where we just talk about. Uh, why basketball is important to us. And then we talk about the playoffs that are currently happening right now. We talk about the upcoming draft. Basically, we feel like real sports people, even though, uh, you know, we're not obviously on ESPN radio or anything like that. But this was our little uh, sampling of if we're able to talk about this intelligently, uh, if we're maybe able to bring some of you along that might not necessarily be as nerdy and steeped in the basketball world as we are. So I'll, I'll, front load this by saying if you are waiting for some sort of talk of music to happen here it's it's not going to happen this week next week you'll get it in doses but this week it's a very highly concentrated discussion about basketball and i hope you sample it out at least if you're not into basketball i totally understand why you might skip over this but i think there's some really uh, fun conversations that will either have you yelling at your stereo will have you nodding in agreement or will have you emailing the show to say why myself or benny are wrong and that that's fun, isn't that? So anyways, this is my discussion about the NBA and all of the fun stuff surrounding it with the playoffs and drafts and everything else that's occurring. And um, yeah, we talked for a long while and I really appreciate Benny, uh, you know, taking the time out of his schedule and honestly preparing for this because he definitely is a very stats oriented man and he wanted to make sure that he was informed coming into this conversation you know i'm i'm very much of a feeling <laughs> and i know statistics and obviously it's an important component of sports using that to predict things but uh i i, I wanted to kind of usher him along on that and so uh you know i try to play the host whereas he plays the uh color commentator i don't know i'm not going to pretend like i know uh too much about that stuff but anyways in any event listen to me and benny gush about basketball and talk about why it's important and then um yeah hopefully you enjoy it and if you do visit the show's website 100wordspodcast.com or you can email the show because like i said some of you may have disagree with what we're saying here 100wordspodcast at gmail.com so here you go here's our discussion and uh yeah next week for your anniversary exciting stuff so i'll talk to you after the show's over I just I felt like it was obviously an appropriate enough uh, time for us to, uh, to you know talk about the NBA and then basically tr we kind of discussed this in obviously the interview you did on my show where it was like the the marriage of, of sports and independent music like how there was a real line in the sand for a long time but uh, now it's obviously that that line is kind of been erased where people can like everything but uh, so like when did you kind of discover your love of uh, of basketball and like did you play in high school and like what was your experience with all that. Uh, well, basketball was definitely introduced at an early age. My dad was a hoops fan. He grew up, not grew up, he was already an adult by then, but he really liked the Knicks teams, the early 70s. Those were like his squads. And I constantly remember him talking about, you know, Willis Reed and Walt Clyde Frazier and Dave DeBusher and Bill Bradley and like all these like Knicks names from that time. And you know, I kind of 
idolized that. And then my brother played basketball and he was a big Knicks fan. So, you know, my entrance into basketball was early and I started playing pretty early. Um, like we spoke about in the last podcast, I never was a very gifted athlete. And, uh, you know, as much as I liked basketball and played a lot around the way, I wasn't very good as a kid and I didn't even lose my fucking puppy weight until I was like (laughs) 19. I got a lot better at basketball way after high school. Um, so my playing career is not even worth talking about. I play in a, a Monday night pickup game, um, which, you know, no one is significantly better than me. So it's definitely not worth talking about. <laughs> no, um, that's fun though. I mean, but, you had, so did you, did you go to the garden for some games? Like when you were yeah. There? Yeah. I went to the garden for some games and, and I really fell for it because my father took me to, um, it was a uh, game six bulls Knicks in the 92 playoffs. Oh. Uh, you know, and it's obviously the Bulls were, were the victors because poor Patrick Ewing ran into either Michael Jordan or Hakeem Olajuwon uh, every year in his prime and, and could never, never get over the hump. Right. But, uh, yeah, I remember going to that game. Um, I remember the experience really well. I remember how excited. I still have the, the towel uh, that they gave out to, to spin around. Right. And, you know, I think that's what got me into the live basketball experience. And, um, at around the same time I got into cards, you know, baseball cards, basketball cards. And somehow as a result, I became a huge David Robinson fan. Um, love the Admiral. I collected all of his stuff. And as a result, I kind of fell for the early nineties, uh, Spurs teams Mm -hmm. and, you know, talking like Sean Elliott, you know, Avery Johnson, Vinny Del Negro, you know, starting to get into the mid nineties. And that, that was my team. I was a pretty big Spurs fan. Um, up until, you know, the, the mid nineties when, when the Nets started getting it together and that kind of coincided with me getting my license and my friends getting their licenses and me actually being able to go to games. So, I started a Spurs fan. I'm still, I have an, uh, an affinity for the Spurs as a result, but as you know, I'm a big Nets fan now. Um, my transition to the Nets happened when they started. I mean, I remember when they drafted Derek Coleman and Kenny Anderson and it was a big deal that got me interested in the Nets. And then later when I started getting more into basketball is when they drafted Kerry Kittles and Keith Van Horn and then eventually Kenyon Martin, who was my favorite player in college, and I was so excited the Nets got. And when Kenyon Martin was the number one pick, I've been like a diehard Nets fan ever since, like from from the day that happened, when the Kenyon Martin, Richard Jefferson teams really started forming. Uh, that's when I started going to tons of games and really being a hardcore Nets fan. Nice. So so I didn't actually get, get there until a little later, but... and. That's okay. You you joined you joined up at the. Uh, I think that's a really important point that you made in there in regards to the because uh, I, I think people of our generation um, like we obviously gravitate toward teams, but like you know if I'm put on the spot, like I'm not I'm not like a Lakers dude. I'm not a Clippers dude. I just like players. Like I love to follow players, mm. and like I think that's. Um, you know, even though, like you said, you obviously have teams there, uh, it's much more accepted for obviously people just because you're able to, there, there's no national stage anymore. It's like, yeah, of course, you know, you're not going to get your, um, you know, your Orlando magics or your Timberwolves on TNT on, you know, in January or whatever. But it, generally speaking, you'll be able to see most of the teams you want to. Um, and that, that, that way it gives you, you know, kind of all access to being like, oh yeah, like I like this player. I like watching them play or whatever. And you don't have to be like, oh dude, ride or die. I can't like, I can't like any other team because of this. Sure. And, and I think that's even in, even more true in the NBA because it's such a, a star based league, you know, where I think more than any other sport, you're, you're marketing stars rather than teams more. And even a small market, I mean, you mentioned Minnesota or something like that, you know, who hasn't gotten press in a long time, but how many Oklahoma city games are national? Like most Oklahoma city games are national. And it's just because of two players they have. It's not because of the national attention the Oklahoma city team gets. They're not the Lakers they're not the Celtics. You know, those are the teams that will historically get a Saturday night game just because they have so many fans. 
But I do think uh, NBA follows stars. And I, I don't think, with the exception of maybe, uh, you know, a big-time quarterback in the NFL or, uh, you know, a shut-down starting pitcher in baseball or something like that, and I'm talking, you know, Tom Brady's and Clayton Kershaw's, like no one below that. I don't think there's a, a sport where one guy can come in and completely transform it the way the way it can in the NBA. I mean, will LeBron James ever not make the playoffs when he's healthy? Right. Probably not. No. You know, we've seen it happen before. We saw him take a team with uh, Aaron McKee and Eric Snow and Zindrunas Ilgauskas to the, to the finals. You know, we, we've seen it before with uh, one guy really carrying a team. So um, I think that's part of the reason in the NBA that that's the case. Definitely. And I, I like the, uh, you know, how you mentioned too, where the, you know, you rooting for the draft picks, like once you start to become invested in college basketball, because for the longest time, I was totally a college basketball purist. Like, it wasn't like I didn't like the NBA, but I just followed college basketball so closely, partially just because I was born and raised in Vegas. And so UNLV, mm. I was like, because I, you know, I'm 35 now. So like, I got to witness. You had old Tarkanian, right? First dude, hand, huh? Dude, I was, I mean, the, I can't tell you, I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about the 1990 UNLV team like that was so I mean that you could Vegas obviously has no professional sports so mm. we had to latch ourselves on to basketball um but yeah so it's like what then, was the vibe of the city during the time of, of that was it really buzzing it, it felt I mean I moved out of Vegas when I was seven so I was 10 when that was occurring but I would okay. always, I would always visit there because like my father was there and I had family but the the excitement was palpable like there's nowhere you could go in the city and not see uh you know a fucking shark hat like everyone yeah. was on board with it and so because of that I just started to become you know endeared to the players that obviously filtered through the system from you know obviously grandma Larry Johnson and then Greg Anthony um, sure. you know all those guys and then I think my last sort of real you know I'm gonna wave the flag high for the player was like Isaiah or slash J.R. Ryder right and, next Michael Jordan dude for sure like when he, won the, <laughs> when he won the dunk contest I was like he's gonna be the fucking best yeah, everyone thought it everyone thought it but um but yeah, I, I like how you, you pulled on that, that idea of just like, then you can start to be, cause like, because of J.R. Ryder, I have this irrational love for Minnesota Timberwolves for no reason sure. beyond yeah. just the fact that, Hey, you guys chose my dude from college. And and I think we mentioned recently how I have currently an affinity for the new Minnesota Timberwolves. Cause my boy, Carl Anthony Towns, central Jersey zone, totally. you know, is the big piece there. And I, you know, that, that's my dude. I mean, he played, you know, he's from Piscataway. He played St. Joe's and in, in Metuchen, which tons of my friends went to that place. Right. Like that's a local boy. So I'm, I'm straight pulling for him, you know? Totally. No, I love, I love that. It, it, it feels so, um, it feels so good to be able to like just root these people on who you have no attachment beyond just the fact you watch them play and you were just like, Oh dude, they're so amazing. Like my, I remember too, like the, none of these guys like ever made it in the NBA or anything, but my mom is a high school English teacher. And for whatever reason, her school was pretty keyed into like the, you know, the state playoffs and stuff like that. And they advanced pretty far, but like the electricity in that gym, when she would take me to these games and it's like, I idolized these dudes. And I was like, you know, 13 and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this dude hit like four threes and everyone's losing their minds. And it's like, like you said, the live experience of basketball, it just, it, I mean, it, honestly, it's very much like a show, except obviously it's more, you know, normalized and mainstream for sure for sure i like the way that some nba nba guys think about it too as the fact that they're they're entertainers when they do it and playing with style and playing with some flair and like kind of giving i like the fact that a person's game is so individual to them you know and and the way they play and the, and there's you know i find basketball to be a very beautiful game when it's well played and when you see a guy like Russell Westbrook go end to end or you watch Steph Curry handle the ball, you know, you watch things like that, you know, both of those skills are so unique to those guys to the point where if anyone pulls a behind the back crossover on someone these days, that's a Steph Curry. You know, if someone grabs a point guard, grabs a rebound on the other end kills it down the floor, beats everyone in the paint and puts it down. That's a Russell Westbrook, you know? Right. And I like the fact that like, there's such an individualistic style to guys games, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. And no, and I like it too, 
because it, 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 it basketball feels so touchable where it's like, you know, I, I there's so many moments that I see in games where it's like, you know, I mean, I, I, I like you was not overly athletic. I played, you know, I played all of during high school and made varsity one year, but like, I never hence our extensive knowledges of music of course so, <laughs> totally if once I realized it's like oh yeah playing in a band is way more fun than riding the bench because the coach doesn't like me um <laughs> but like just those those touchable moments of like oh dude I remember I was so good at flopping I could sell fouls like it was you know my job and it was for a lot of it um just because I was usually undersized but I had to play down low and it, watching these other players do it I'm like oh dude good strategy like I wish I would have thought of that 15 years ago or whatever <laughs> Right, 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 right. It doesn't matter who it is. Like people, could, like you know, you play a pickup game on Monday nights, and like you can totally uh, see the the correlation between. I mean, obviously, skills, uh, skill, removing the skill factor of it, but right, anybody can do it. Anybody can shoot a three and make one and feel like they are, like you said, Steph Curry. That's right. I I couldn't agree more. And that's why my game has developed into basically like imagine me as sort of like a thirty six year old european like journeyman center you know like like i'm gonna basically give an illegal pick about 80 percent of the time (laughs) because i'm missing my spots every time you know i'll give a little hip check a little shirt grab you know anything to gain the advantage and then an offensive end crafty passer you know and and i can step out about 18 20 feet pretty easily Mm -hmm. but don't feed it to me down low even for a big guy I don't know what to do down there and I get frazzled easily. So I've been working on this really ugly, no jumping baby hook for a few years. That's, you know, semi-effective, but yeah, I mean, if people could see my game, it, it, I'd rather watch it and talk about it. I would say for sure. <laughs> right. But no, it, it is, it is very, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's honestly unlike most other sports from that perspective of just like, Oh yeah. Like you can throw a football and you can throw a baseball and, um, you know, well, most people can't even obviously get on skates or hockey, but like basketball, it's like, yeah, I can, I can shoot this. And like you, you, for a split second, you're like, Oh dude, I can totally make it. And then you're just like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm nowhere near that position. Don't get caught in the air. Yeah, exactly. So obviously, no time like the present to discuss the playoffs. And you, you, That's my it. friend, you are uh, because I've obviously we've alluded on the uh, past podcast that you are a a stat master. You love to look at the numbers, and I could not, I, get, I could not get more excited when you're like, yo, yo, hold on, like I, I can't just jump on Skype and do this. Like I want to look up these numbers. So no, me. no, you got you need some analytics. I mean, totally. like these this day and age, you know, I'm a straight Bill James guy. You know, you. You got to mix the eye test with the analytics, you right. know, to, to really get an idea of what you're talking about here. So, and that's where I'm so excited about this. I mean, it's a great segue because this Thunder Warrior series, I mean, you break it down so many different ways. And so much of it is dependent on the variables of the series, which I love so much. And it's one of the reasons I'm so excited to see it because – you know, usually you'll get two teams that are like, this is going to be the five. This is going to be the five. This is where these guys are going to come in, where these guys are going to come in. The way these two teams are going to have to play each other is going to be a continuous chess match through the whole series, I'm imagining. I mean, when you got the Warriors who have the death lineup with Draymond Green at the five, being their strongest lineup, being the lineup that messes up the most people. And then the Thunder with this new formula of Adams and Cantor down low with the offensive rebounds and with the with the rim protection and then being able to pull a Baca off the bench, you know, to grab the stretch guys and and all of a sudden that's their recipe that just took the Spurs out and really exposed the Spurs. And that that's that's what I'm most looking forward to in this series is is to see is to see how the matchups play out. I, I agree, and I especially love, um, even though I mean, uh, to be honest, I w- I really was rooting for the Spurs in that that series just because I just I, you know I felt like I wanted one more you know run from them to be uh, you know to, I, whatever I just I really wanted them to win. But it, like you said, this matchup is super exciting, and I'm just uh, the momentum obviously feels very much in OKC's way because obviously you know they beat such a a dominant team in, during the regular season. Um, but you never felt like 
Oklahoma City has that momentum in the playoffs because obviously they've been battling injury the past couple of years with you know some of their major players being out and this is the first time that I can recall recently in their runs that you felt like oh dude they got a good head of steam <laughs> like they have all their players like this is lining up for them in the most appropriate way besides you know meeting the uh, the monolith that is the Golden State Warriors yeah a hundred percent and and that's that's one thing that you could touch on is that historically when when kevin durant and russell westbrook are both healthy at the same time the thunder wins 72 percent of their games um i mean that's a pretty high clip <laughs> you know as far as that goes and when you're thrown out two of the top five guys in the league at the same time who are both so dominant at what they do then i mean how can you not throw them a chance i mean I think the thing to watch out for the most early on is going to be, you know, the Thunder putting out this lineup with Cantor and Adams and seeing how Golden State counters. I mean, Bogut is a little banged up and Azili is a nice player, but I'd say there's a big advantage there. But how quickly do the Warriors switch down to the small lineup? I can't find a way in my head or find a scenario how you can keep Adams and Cantor in the lineup at the same time when they go Draymond Green at the five. Totally. They're how so, is it? They're so stretched out. Possible? Yeah, they're so yeah. they're so stretched out. And the only thing that makes me sad about when Oklahoma City feels like they obviously uh, unlocked a door with that lineup is the fact that like. Serge Ibaka, I mean, like that dude could not be one of the more athletic people on this entire planet. Like you feel like his body was made for basketball. And then with that lineup, you do feel like he's kind of relegated to the, uh, you know, early uh, 2016 season of uh, Kevin Love and the Cavs where they're just like, hey, just throw him in the corner and he'll be fine. And it's like, sure. It, that that's the only thing that bumps me out. I mean, I'm glad that it's like, you know, a person like, you know, Enos Cancer can obviously finally be a productive player rather than like, you know, the, uh, a bad, you know, a good player on a bad team stats wise. But yeah, but Ibaka, man, like, dude, I know this is a side note, but like, how amazing would it be? It's like, if Oklahoma city, for whatever reason, decides to like deal him to like the Timberwolves, like just, he, yeah, he, he would, he would like be the sort of, even though he's only like what, 25 or 26 or something, but he would be so killer on one of these teams with young talent where he could be the guy that like shows that shows everybody the ropes and like, this is how you do it guys. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder about a I feel like he, I feel like the thunder thought at first when they, you know, re-signed a and let Harding go, you know, that they were still creating a big three and they were just creating it in a different way, you know, especially since the heat pulled it off with a, uh, a power forward involved with Chris Bosch. You know, I think people were seeing the formula as, as a, uh, a ball handler, a scorer, and a big man as, as this big three. The same way um, the Celtics did it with uh, Garnett and Pearson Rondo. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting a person in the big three of, of Boston. Rondo was the four. Who was the big, oh and Ray Allen? Ray excuse Allen, yeah, me. Yeah. No, it's okay. so it yeah, yeah. And uh, so I think they were they were looking for that, and you know, and as good of a player as he is, um, he's not that guy. I don't think he's not somebody you can drop the ball to. I mean, even he's not as good of a, an offensive player as a Kevin Love, even though he's a much better defensive player or something like that. Yeah. So I think it has taken Oklahoma City a a couple years to find some more people that, that you can really trust. And, you know, and that's where I look at the lineups and I see the thunder almost being one guy short. You know, I I see these lineups, nobody covers Robertson. They never do. I know he hit, he hit three point three threes in, uh, in that last game. And, you know, people are being like, Oh, is Robertson coming around? No, like, yeah, I watch the Thunder all the time. People have not been covering him all year past like 18 feet. That three-point shot is his for the taking. And I think they're starting to do it to Ibaka a little bit either. As good of a three-point shooter as he is, who do you want beating you? Do you want you know Westbrook and KD in the middle beating you? KD in the mid-range beating you? Or do you want Ibaka and Robertson shooting threes? And when they keep popping out and the ball's finding its way to Dion waiters and Ibaka, that's cool. But there's another set of people that the thunder are going to have to deal with. I mean, the warriors are so deep 
And when you start getting in these back lineups with Barbosa and Livingston and Speets and really, really good serviceable players who know their system, I have a feeling guys like Kyle Singler and Randy Foy right. and, and these extra pieces for the Thunder, I mean, are just so outclassed um, when you get down to like the eight, nine sections of the lineup. And, you know, that's, that's when I look at this series, you know, if, if we're making, are we making predictions? Oh, I, I, I was going to lead that into you. So yes, we got, got to make, I got the Warriors in seven. That's, that's, um, I, I can't, I, I cannot disagree with you there. Cause like, as much as I would like to see, um, you know, Oklahoma city get finally get a, get a chance to swing at the finals. It's like they, like you said, they're just not I, I, like there's it, it barring also, healthy lineup. Totally. Of course. Bar, yeah. Barring nothing crazy happens, which of course it always tends to do in the playoffs. But yeah, I just, like you said, it's like those deficiencies in the, in the eight, nine, 10 spots. Like you can't, you can't find a better player. And honestly, something that's so exciting to watch, like Sean Livingston. It's like, here's a dude who, like, if you want to see a brutal injury on YouTube. Oh, God. The worst there is. It's the worst. And it's like, and then now, he's just killing it. And he's just like, yeah, I I get to collect some rings here. It's great. But yeah, I I would agree. And there's no way. Like, people that say, you know, whatever, Warriors in six, I'm like, I I don't know where where they're getting that. Like, there's no way that this is not going to seven. I mean, you know what? I could see six. I could. I You know, I can see something brewing here that you see often, which is the Warriors took care of business. They took care of this series half without Steph Curry. Um, and I think people are forgetting how good that team is um, just because we just watched the Thunder beat up on the Spurs right. who everyone thought the, you know, no, not many people saw the Thunder coming out of this the way they did. I mean, I, had the thunder written off before that series, I thought the Spurs were going to take them. So I do think there's that, that, that media thing going on where you, you get so hyped about a team and what they're doing and you forget the class that's sitting there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like let's, let's talk a little bit about dream on green who gets like, you know, he's starting to get more and more love, but because he's such a unique player and such a unique talent, I don't think a lot of people know what to do with them. I mean, but this guy, he has 23 blocks in the playoffs. He's, he's, you know, the size of an undersized four covering fives and still, you know, almost averaging over 10 boards a game, getting blocks. And then if you let him grab a rebound, he'll run the break. Right. He'll handle the ball. He'll run the transition. He'll get into the paint. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, two of not only the best shooters in the NBA, two of the best shooters in the history of the NBA, just sitting out there. I mean, there's, there's something about the way this Warriors team is that I think if Curry's, you know, ankles and knees are, are acting appropriately. Um, I mean, it's so hard to see for me, especially for the fact that the Warriors, uh, you know, took the season series they're six and zero at home in the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, you know they went zero and three in the regular season against the Warriors. And I mean, I never played competitive professional sports, but I can't imagine if the Thunder drop game one, and especially if they drop game two. I mean, that's four and five straight games against the same team they they lost. And even though these other ones are regular season games, I can't see how that doesn't get into the psyche of a player where you're just like, Jesus, we can't beat this team. I don't know how to beat this team, you know, and especially how do we beat this team on the road? So, you know, as much as I love the Thunder team, I'm having a having a hard time seeing it. But that being said, I mean, we're dealing with two of the most like singular talents in the NBA at the same time. Kevin Durant is, you know, the second coming of George Gervin. Like I, you know, I think that that matchup's going to be interesting. You know, they're going to have Harrison Barnes straight up on Durant Mm -hmm. and we'll see how he plays out. We'll see if they run Durant at the four, you know, and maybe he'll get a little size, you know, I do think the Warriors have no answer for Kevin Durant. Yep. I mean, not a lot of people do. Um, so 
that's where I do think Russ and KD are going to get theirs. And I think when Russ decides he wants to play defense, he could be the best defensive point guard in the league. He just plays defense about 15 minutes a night. You know, he, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and he, you know, he's going to be out there on clay. He's going to be on guys like that. Robertson's going to be all over Curry. You know, it's going to be these funky matchups that, that 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 are just really interesting to see how they we dictate it like we 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 let off with it right. but i'm still sticking with the warriors in seven I, I i don't see it going another way yeah one one last one last thing i wanted to pull on that you just mentioned there that was the like the the idea obviously you know kevin durant and russell westbrook are clearly friends like they get along like that's you know obviously the media always likes to now yeah now but, but it, and that's and that's the thing where it's like it's so strange where you, you see the games that obviously oklahoma city struggles and that's you know the game's where you know russell westbrook goes like you know eight for 34 or something like that and like you know kevin has like you know he's like 10 for 17 or something and it's like when it's like russell westbrook trusts kevin durant until he misses like two shots and then he's like no 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 dude this is my team i got it and that's when you see him you know do the 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 crazy you know full full court fast breaks and like that's when you feel like it's like he feels like it's his team so he needs to take it over and kevin durant you know he gets his still but like not to the extent of what he does when you know he's he's pouring in the points and and russell is kind of more the facilitator so it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays itself out in this you know once they start to get in those like oh we're down 10 going into the fourth quarter like is kevin durant taking all those shots or is russell being like no guys i got this i'm gonna get my assist on my rebound and like it's just crazy and i you know i think the key to what you're talking about is you need to be flexible and how are the thunder gonna win when we've watched time and time again isolation plays to russell westbrook or kevin durant to end games it doesn't work and they have been closing out fourth quarters in the playoffs by not playing that way by finally letting some other guys by getting Adams and Cantor the ball in good spots by someone like Deion waiters actually hitting shots. Like, I don't know if it's going to last, right? but he's actually driving the lane. He's actually hitting shots. He's actually contributing. And I think that is the difference. I mean, you know what rest and KD are going to do. They're chippy. You know, I think you got to give the team a lot of credit, actually. I think you got to give Donovan a lot of credit. I mean, think about all the variables this team dealt with through the year. You know, I haven't gone a week without hearing about where Kevin Durant's going to end up next season. Right. Uh, I haven't, you know, heard about where, oh, are these two getting along? Is Westbrook this? Is Westbrook that? Brand new coach. Is this the end of this? Should we break it up? Blah, blah, blah. And to their credit and to Donovan's credit, kept the team together and they've been actually steadily improving through the course of the year, especially defensively. So, I mean, to say this is the same team we've seen that many times is probably not the case. Enos Cantor could be a offensively an offensive rebounding, a, a top five. You take, and this is take away his defense altogether, take away his uh, court savvy altogether he is a top five, maybe offensive center in the league at this point. Top six. I could probably think of a few more, right. but um, you know, and he's only 25 years old. Like you're seeing stuff from young guys who are de- developing at certain times where this isn't the same old team. And I do think when the Warriors went in seven, that uh, I think you're going to see Durant stay. And I think he's going to do the same thing LeBron does. I think he's going to take, that one two-year, probably a two-year contract without the second year guaranteed. And I think he's going to try it again because why wouldn't you with this with this team, the way it's put together? I mean, you should now. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's how it's going to play out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, p- let's pivot to the uh, other series that uh, you will probably feature a few less talking points just because uh, you know, maybe, maybe it won't be as exciting as the, <laughs> the Thunder Warriors one. But the, uh, I mean, well, if it's competitive, it will be as exciting. True. That's but true. That's true. It's, well, I guess it's a little harder to see. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the Raptors finally get their uh, their play at the uh, Eastern Conference semifinals. And, uh, and good for them. I know. The Great North. They they needed it obviously for a long time to feel like Jurassic Park can you know get larger and. <laughs> I mean the poor Raptors have been getting. I mean they're getting their asses handed to them by the Nets in the playoffs. I mean like <laughs> totally. that poor team you know so yeah I, I'm a 
even as uh, you know, my team's a uh, you know Atlantic Division rival of theirs. I'm happy for the Toronto, and I know a lot of Toronto Raptors fans. I know they're good fans, and they haven't had a lot of fun with sports in a long time. So I'm I'm happy for them. Me too. I, I think it's something that's so it, weird because the idea of, I mean, I can't. You and I probably can't. Well, I know we can't imagine because it's so weird that like basketball didn't exist in a country <laughs> until like the nineties. And then all of yeah. a sudden these things started to change and it's like, Oh, then you start to see basketball hoops outside of kids' homes. And it's like, you know, for you and I, that was part and part, part and part sure. of our experience. And so, yeah, you can't be more excited about a country being like, yo, like we're behind this team. It's like, that's great. Good job. And that you. being said, I mean, you know, you're saying that it wasn't even pro basketball there until the nineties. And within the last, what is it? Three years, there's been, there's going to be a number one draft pick from Canada. You know, Andrew Wiggins is Canadian. Anthony Bennett was Canadian. This kid, um, you know, there's some, a uh, couple big players coming out of this year's draft. Like there's, uh, Canadian basketball is, is no joke at this point. Totally. It's here. It's here. And it's, uh, it, it's a force to be reckoned with just like Australia and Europe is. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's exciting. But I mean, do you like, do you think this is going to go to seven? I can't personally. No, absolutely this. not. But. I can't see it. I mean, you know, as much as I'd like this team, you know, the more and more I look into the numbers of how this is playing out, I, I can't see it going a good way. I mean, even this stat alone, the fact that, you know, the Cavs have gone 8-0 in the playoffs and obviously are – I think the question going into this is are the Cavs too rested and are they out of rhythm? I, I don't think a team that deals with injuries like the Cavs do between their stars is is uh, worried about rest in the least. But I do think that rhythm and guys playing together is a very real thing. Um but I wonder if the Cavs at this point are just experienced enough with the kinds of players they have and that, you know, the, the bench pieces they have that, that they might not fall victim to that. And I think that the only chance Toronto has is somehow taking this energy they have from game seven, going in and taking the first game. Right. If they can take the first game when they're coming out cold, first couple quarters, getting their rhythm back together and Lowry's attacking, and they can really get something going. That's maybe the only boxer's chance Toronto has of, I mean, maybe even taking a game, let alone the series. Um, right. You know, I see, especially with Valanchunas, is, I just saw he's out for the first game. He's doubtful for the second. So even if Toronto was going to make it a series, he's not going to be contributing until game four, game five, real minutes. And, you know, by then, uh, you know, I, I see like um, that not being able to work because they'll be too far behind. I think a lot of people are excited about Biombo because of his last two games, but without thinking that Hassan Whiteside was out and Biombo was able to, you know, kind of roll around the paint a little bit because, the heat don't have any other bigs that scare you. Um, so, and I can imagine, you know, the second Biombo starts giving you trouble, Cleveland goes to Kevin Love at the five. You start bringing Biombo out to the perimeter, then his entire game is ineffective and you have to take him out. So I think just Cleveland has just too many pieces. I saw that Lowry has played 553 minutes in the playoffs, DeRozan 522 minutes in the playoffs, and that's number one and number two, respectively, right. in the playoffs. And this is with the Cavs coming off so much rest, and even to the point that LeBron was resting inside of the series. I mean, right now, in eight games in the playoffs, Kyrie is averaging 24.4 points a game. LeBron's averaging 23 and a half. He's already taken a backseat a little bit and given the scoring to other people, move the ball around, not putting as much emphasis on himself. So I see LeBron not only coming in really healthy and really rested, I see him a little pissed off that Curry won the MVP unanimously. Right. <laughs> and he even said something about it. And I mean, I just guy like that i mean it's you know this was steph curry's year but that's fucking lebron james like everyone forgets who that guy is 
and the fact that he will will himself to the finals to see the Warriors again. You know, like there's no chance that guy's not getting there. Um, I would put tons and tons of money on it. And then an even more proving stat for this that's a little scary for the Raptors is that opponents through the season have been shooting over 37% from three-point on the Raptors, which ranked 29th in the league. The Cavs are shooting 46-plus percent in the playoffs. They shot 43 of 86 off of them in the regular season. So, I mean, if there could be more things just going against one team statistically, I, I can't even think of them. Um, right. So, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it does. I, I agree wholeheartedly. It just doesn't. Yeah. There, there's nothing. I mean, not only obviously all the st- statistics that you have trotted out, but then um, just the general feeling and uh, idea that the Cavs, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion. Honestly, it was kind of a foregone conclusion at the beat, the start of exactly. the playoffs that people were just seeing the way that it was going to play out. And it's like, no matter who they met, they were probably going to demolish. And it's like, if Atlanta didn't give them any trouble, which everyone kind of knew was going to happen, um, then there's no way that anybody else is really going to kind of hold the torch to it. And yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, and sadly for the parody of the league, I mean, it's sort of been a foregone conclusion before the season even started. I mean, when you were looking at the, the, you know, um, preseason predictions for this season, I'd say, you know, 95% had the Cavs winning the East. Um, so, I mean, this has kind of been, even though it's been fun to watch, you know, a little, I think the only chance that people saw of the Cavs not being able to do it were if Derrick Rose was somehow, you know, an MVP again, paired with Jimmy Butler and Pau Gasol or something like that. Yep. You know, there was a couple scenarios, you know, maybe if the Heat had, had Chris Bosh with the way they look right now, you know, with Whiteside and Bosh healthy, I mean, and if they still got Joe Johnson, who knows? But, you know, I, I think I think the East has gotten a lot better, and I think it's still getting better. But um, Cleveland's just been, you know, head and shoulders uh, above for the whole season. And I was even thinking on the way to this interview how remarkable it even is. I mean, Cleveland blew those drafts they had when, you know, when, I mean, imagine if they nailed those number one picks, like imagine. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing what they've gotten away with and how dominant they still are. Totally. Well, I mean, I guess that's what, that's what you get when you've got LeBron coming back home. But yeah, when you look at like the year before or, you know, whatever, two years before, and it's like, you guys picked Anthony Bennett, like my own UNLV player, just like, guys, that was a horrific decision. He's not even in the league. No, he's gone. He's gone already. I mean, that, that's, that was less than than two years. And it was like, you you could almost feel the fear in his eyes of being like, why did you guys pick me? This was a decision. I, I, you know, I, for the fact that at least he was the number one pick and the kid got some guaranteed money, I'm sure, sure I do. I do feel bad for a kid in that, in that position. You know, it's, not easy, not especially when you're the pick after fucking, you know, the LeBron right that leaves town and the team falls apart, and you know that's not an easy position for a kid to be in. That's a fact. Totally, and, and the fact too, they were like, "Hey, how about you? How about that that position you've been playing your entire life? How how about you don't play that?" Yeah, yeah, go do this. Exactly. Totally. Yeah, not a good move. No. Not a good move. Uh, well, let, let, let's quickly hit the draft uh, since obviously we were talking about that. Um, there, I mean, obviously you have your your players that are bubbling up as far as the uh, you know top picks as far as Ben Simmons is concerned, um, and then obviously Brandon Ingram. Uh, so, is was, was there anything that you are personally kind of, I guess, excited about to see where these guys are going to land, or um, are there any other players that are, uh, you know, uh, tickling your fancy, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. I mean, I think the most interesting thing now, and it gets determined tonight, I believe, is or I or tomorrow, I think, is is the 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 lottery and who's going to be picking first through five. I think that's the biggest determination of who goes where at this point. I mean, it's almost universally known that Simmons Ingram are going to be the one, two picks. Um, apparently the combine is going on right now. Ben Simmons has, uh, passed all interviews, all physicals. He's not doing anything for the combine. Brandon Ingram came in, did the combine, but only measurements and interviews. He's not playing and apparently crushed his interviews was asked by one team, to draw up a play for a last 
uh, second shot for himself and drew up an amazing play. I mean, he comes from Duke and, you know, as much as you'd like to give credit to that system, probably some credit to be given. So, you know, as hard as it is to see Ingram going number one, he is rising or raising his stock in the last couple days in, in the idea that he could, um, you know, it's tough with Ben Simmons as a guy like who watches basketball the way I do, because I evaluate basketball in game and Ben Simmons has so little in game things through the course of this year that where he was put in a position to excel. Um, I mean, he showed his athleticism. He showed the fact that he can rebound and shoot for a kid, his size, but that intangible part of it, you didn't see, you didn't see any leadership. You didn't see a good attitude. I mean, even to the point that LSU late in games were almost not even giving the kid the ball. Um, that raises big questions to me. Uh, because well, and the fact not to interrupt the train of thought too, but it's on the same point where it's just like, if you're not, I mean, really, if you're not able to bring your team to the playoffs at all, like it's just, it's weird. It feels, I agree with you. It doesn't feel right. It's concerning, I think, and especially these days with exactly what we were just talking about, Anthony Bennett. Or, you know, I think the more and more you get the one and dones in college, the less and less guarantee you have on a very good player. I mean, Tim Duncan was the last four-year college player to go number one in the draft. That was a long time ago, yeah, you know. And, you know, and that's where someone who comes from the school I do, I, I can't break down Ben Simmons in a super physical way. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not breaking down his game tape and, and, and looking at his, his cuts left and right and his analytics. Like, you know, that's for NBA scouts to determine, but by the eye test, something bothers me about him. And Brandon Ingram looks like some weird, even skinnier version of Kevin Durant. Um, which intrigues me and I could see certain teams being in certain positions to, to look into, you know, I think if Boston gets the number one pick, they should seriously consider it because that's a team that's ready to, to compete. Now Mm -hmm. that's a team that has pieces. That's a team that just made the playoffs as a very good coach. Is that the kind of team you want to bring a big time guy, give them a ton of pressure give him a big role on an, you know, you know, I'd almost rather see Ben Simmons in a situation Andrew Wiggins was in where you're going to go to a team that, you know, is going to lose 60 games the first year. And you just want to let them learn how to play in the NBA. Um, so I think that's going to determine a lot of it. And I think the interesting thing about this draft is two guys who could potentially go in the top five for Chris Dunn from Providence mm-hmm. and Buddy Heald from Oklahoma, who were both just very excellent college players, very excellent tournament players, very good guards, scoring guards who can both shoot. Dunn really can defend. And I think those are two guys that a team looking to get better right now needs to, to look at seriously because everyone else being – projected in the top 15 for the most part is a european prospect or somebody who's a one and done who is not going to contribute to a team next year um and and i think that's you know it's a it's an interesting thing about this draft and it's also exposing a problem with the nba with you know the rostering and the one and done rule and the fact that it is making the NBA a little bit worse. I think sure. um, it, they're small rosters and, you know, I think the advent of the D league being, you know, more available and not as big of a, a diss to players to go down in and stuff like that, I think is getting better and it's improving it. But um, I think it's a big problem in the draft. Definitely. No, I mean, there's, yeah, you just, you feel, you feel for the kids that obviously do the, uh, yeah, the one and done and they don't, you know, maybe they have a good performance in the, uh, the tournament and then they feel like, yeah, I need to test the waters. And like, obviously there's why that, that rule exists now of the, you know, I guess players have until like July yeah. or something, which is, you know, it's, I mean, it's good. Smart. Um, it, yeah. It's Smart. Ter- terrible for the teams, but at the same time, it's like, you got to protect the kids, but 
yeah, I, I agree. There's definitely a lot of interesting components to uh, who can be who can be taken for for what slot. And uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, the, the determining factor is where those those lottery balls will lie, and obviously who's going to be able to be uh, taken uh, first and second, and then who will be able to be like, oh, well, this this player. I mean, it's like you know, you look at every draft and every. Uh, conceivable year that there's going to be a pick that people boo, but then retroactively love. Let's like look at Porzingis. Everyone was like, "Oh, yeah. that's a terrible idea," and yeah. then now it's like you know he's the, the savior of New York City, and it's like that's that, that that stuff. And you love those stories when it happens. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. But you know that was something where you and you know that we could get into the Knicks if you'd like. But that's something I think you know I listen to a lot of sports talk radio around here, and Phil Jackson is currently getting killed constantly on the radio right now, even though the Knicks improved, even though they drafted Porzingis, brought in Lopez, who's a very serviceable player, starting this build around Anthony where maybe you could have a competing team in the next year or two to go with them. I thought they got a lot better, but I don't think Jackson got nearly enough credit for the scouting of Porzingis, the fact that this kid was going to get booed. He's a skinny white boy coming in, which – doesn't look good on the eye test sometimes, but from the first second, he said the right things. He was that type of kid who was like, New York's a tough town. I can't wait to turn those booze into cheers. I mean, this is a kid from another country, and that was the first thing he said in interviews after he just got booed at the NBA draft. I mean, that's good, you know, good makeup in a kid. And that's and that's the things that I think from the outside looking in that is impossible for people like us to determine again. We're not in these interviews. We don't know who these kids are and we don't know their attitudes. And I think that's such a big part of it, uh, that, that, um, that we, we can have no idea. You know, I think the one guy to look out for that I like a lot is, uh, Malachi Richardson from Syracuse who, you know, had a huge tournament. Not a lot of people knew him before the tournament, but, is projecting to be a really nice two-way scoring guard who can create his own shot. And, you know, he really improved through the season and had a great tournament. And I think uh, his his draft stock is rising. I think you could see him popping into the, the top ten. Um, yeah. And on a side note, I'm extremely happy about this rule where a player can test the waters and come back. Right. I'm a Rutgers basketball fan in college, and they are, I mean, a god-awful team. It's It's been really rough for, for many years now. We brought in a kid last year named Corey Sanders, who is a beast, great point guard. I mean, by far our best player. He declared for the NBA draft under this new rule, but didn't get invited to the Combine and realized he may not even be drafted if he came out and now is coming back to school. So who knows what would have happened the year before, you know, maybe he would have given it a try and not been able to come back. So I do think it's a, and you know, it's, we could get on a whole nother podcast about, you know, the treatment of college athletes and the way that goes. But I mean, these are adults who are looking to start the prospects of their lifelong career and like to not let them test the waters and see, what they could be worth and to talk to a few people. I mean, now that this is a new rule, I can't believe it wasn't in place the whole time. It's fucking just so ridiculous. Totally. It's like, Oh yeah. The, being able to see, especially, yeah. In this day and age, you're just like, why did this not happen 10 years ago? Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so absurd to me that, that, that this is a new rule. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go guys. Way to catch up with that. Yeah. Um, new commissioner. I, so maybe, you know, maybe yeah. things are changing a little. It's true. Uh, I wanted to ask these. These are three completely arbitrary, uh, yet uh, will probably elicit some sort of emotional response. This is more of an overarching thing and obviously will will suit your personality and kind of give people an idea of, uh, you know, what you are as far as a basketball fan is concerned. Um, so, they, you know, these are totally off the top of your head. You don't need to back them up with statistical evidence, which I know you like to do. <laughs> but uh, give me uh, give me a player that you you love. You absolutely love kind of despite everything, you know, like whether they're super temperamental or, um, you know, whatever. They, they come with baggage or maybe they're just a good player and you like them. A current player. Yeah, give, give me a current player in the NBA. That's I love DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, dude, he's my pick, too. I love him. He's a beast. And I, 
I truly believe with DeMarcus Cousins that this guy gets in this much trouble because he hates losing and because he's really competitive. I don't see it from like a fuggy chest bumping type of thing. I see it from a competitive standpoint and that he's an insanely good player who's been stuck on a terrible team for a long time with 95 different head coaches. It's like- exactly. And just a terrible, and, a, and you know, I know you're a California guy and you're this one of the harder cities to probably adjust to for an NBA player. Let's be realistic was probably Sacramento. I mean, right. I've been to that town. It's got a lot of cool shit, but I mean, if you're, a kid coming into the NBA, it's not exactly what you had in mind, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, off the bat, that's my guy. I love DeMarcus. And I think, like I said, I think all of his problems come from that place, sort of in like a Rashid Wallace kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then my, my option too would be Lance, Lance Stevenson, <sighs> I know. who I still think is going to beast in the NBA at some point. He's too good. But, I mean, he's just that Brooklyn kid. He's chippy. He's got that thing. I I hope he can just find himself in a situation. Yeah, I mean, everyone hopes. That's why they keep trading for him and giving him deals. But, right. uh, yeah, he'd be my number two. Yeah, that's good. No, I, I had DeMarcus on the top of my list as well for that same reason of just like, yeah, he's he, – you can tell, like, he's actually a humble human being. Um, yeah. He just needs – it's like – the, the way that he speaks about, uh, you know, the coaches that he actually liked and like he developed mm-hmm. a relationship with, it's like, you can tell the dude just wants to play with cool people. And if, I mean, it's like the fact that him and Rondo like weirdly get along, it's like, are, yeah. you, are you kidding me? Like, no, well, Rondo's kind of about the same thing. That's you true. know, Rondo, Rondo's like that Kobe Bryant type of guy. He doesn't give a fuck about you if you're not helping him win. You know, R- Rondo is, he doesn't suffer fools lately, you know? And totally. so I, I think, I think that was actually good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, the second question is, uh, I, on the, along the same lines, the, the team that you love kind of despite everything. And obviously I, I think an obvious choice for you would be the Nets, but you know, oh, yeah. you could divert if there is a, another one that comes to your mind. No, no, we got to stick with the Nets with that. I mean, there's too much history there. Right. You know, I, I was able to attend some NBA finals games in the early two thousands, which was great. Um, the day I woke up and Stefan Marbury was traded for Jason Kidd was pretty much the greatest morning of my life. Um, you know, I came out of nowhere and, and everything turned around after that. And all of a sudden I got to watch guys like Kenyon Martin and Richard Jefferson just flying through the air on Jason Kidd passes. And all of a sudden I was like, Holy shit, this is fun. Um, but that was sandwiched in between <laughs> so many years of mediocrity and then followed by so many years of mediocrity that the Nets are just by far the most frustrating thing. I mean, to the point that those NBA Finals games that were in the swamp in East Rutherford, these were the Shaq Kobe Lakers. The games weren't even sold out. Right. They weren't. Right. You, could, you could buy tickets at the door. And, you know, and then, you know, all six Nets fans, when they moved to Brooklyn, are like, oh, why are you leaving? (laughs) And then they moved to Brooklyn. And it's this I'm a season ticket holder. It's a bizarre fan base of maybe one sixth of the people are old Nets fans that stuck with it. Uh, Maybe the other, you know, two thirds are tourists around New York who want to check out a game. And the other two thirds are probably like. New Yorkers who were raised Knicks fans who have a cursory interest in the Nets right now because they moved to Brooklyn. Right. So there's no hardcore fan base. I mean, when the Knicks come to the Barclays Center, the Knicks fans own the Barclays Center. Um, they're way louder. They're better fans. Even to the point I've seen Sixers fans be louder than Nets fans in our building. Um, so I can't choose another team to to. <laughs> to talk about to frustration and all those things. I mean, it's to the point where I, I, as a New Jersey Nets fan who moved to Brooklyn, I find some of the conversations about how bad they are and how frustrated they are just comical 
because I'm like, hey, welcome to being a Nets fan. You thought moving to Brooklyn, this great new stadium, this Russian steel tycoon is, is going to change things? Sure. Nope. Little, Still the Nets. Still new, the Nets. New, new logo? Nope, that's not changing. Nope. <laughs> nope. So, yeah. So, I, you know, and, and the future is not looking good because no, no we have no draft picks forever and i'm about to watch boston pick in the top three with our pick i just watched damian lillard go nuts on the warriors and he was our pick in the gerald wallace trade i mean this is it's just comical it's terrible but that being said as a good fan i'm an optimist there's silver lining i like sean marks i like our new gm i like our new coach choice i like atkinson I think there's a culture change coming. Right. Um, I think getting Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Chris McCullough both in the first round last year were huge. And being that both of them are hurt most of the year, I think you almost have a couple rookies sort of coming in this year in a way, um, which is cool being that we have no picks. Um, so there's, hope. you know, yeah, there's hope. Not, not I mean, really. Hope, hope for you. I understand. I'm painting it like that. <laughs> there's hope for for maybe a 30 win season, totally. uh, which Incre- would be an improvement. Um, Incre- and if young kids get better, then it's an improvement. So I'll take it. <laughs> totally. Uh, I, I mentioned my team earlier. It was the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that's. I mean, it's it's so exciting to obviously feel like everything's kind of congealing for them because obviously they've been you know off in the wilderness and really trying to develop like who they are as a team. So I'm I'm excited that they actually now like you got like, the cat. It totally. Cat, Piscataway, New Jersey. Totally, that's it. Seven three two, and and unanimous rookie of the year. As you mentioned, I know, so, so excited. excited, love it. Um, and then the the last, you know, emotionally charged question. Um, this is more so. Uh, you can name a player, but like the most underrated quality that like you like to look for when you're looking at you know players doesn't have to necessarily be you know looking for a center or a guard, but it's just like um, you know something that you like to see in players uh that either people at large don't pay attention to or you know journalists don't talk about um so yeah do you have uh, something that comes to your mind yeah sure a couple things and uh, it's actually part of basketball that i'm even drawn to sometimes more than a great score or something is is those little qualities in a player that are kind of odd and unusual that make them stand out like i love the fact that sean livingston is a point guard and he's uh, statistically, I think the best post player in the NBA um, as far as his percentages go, which is a crazy skill to have as a point guard. I love watching, you know, a guy like Draymond Green or, um, you know, let's say back in the day, like an Arvidas Sabonis or someone interesting like that, who are just these bigs who were great passers who just made these perfect crisp passes from up above. I love a guy who is a great screener. You know, somebody I watched, you know, speaking of the Nets, I watched Jason Collins. I mean, somehow carve out a 10-year NBA career by being seven feet tall, by setting hard screens, and by standing in the right place on defense. That's it. That's it. That's it. But – the reason he had a 10 year NBA career is because those things are crucial, crucial for a team to win games. Like I watch Kevin love run these like super weak pick and rolls where the, the pick just sucks. It's a terrible pick and there's nothing to come off of as a result. So I love a guy who runs a hard pick. And then my last thought, especially since we were talking about Jason Kidd, is like the one thing I remember about Jason Kidd that never showed up on the scoreboard was the fact that, he altered so many plays through the course of a game by jumping passing lanes, by, uh, you know, looking one way while passing another way and bringing the, I mean, by even shifting the defense, you know, just by them moving their head left, bought him enough time to, to, to open up the lane for somebody else. And I always thought that Jason K, there's about 10 plays a game that Jason Kidd altered that didn't show up on the stat sheet. Um, and, and I love a guy like that. Nice. Those are, I love those qualities. The, uh, the quality that I always like to see, and I don't necessarily, um, 
find this maybe a positive thing, but I just something I find so supremely entertaining is the uh, what I like to call dirty hustle, where it's like mm-hmm. these are players like obviously like Patrick Beverly, uh, who oh, in, love that in in some respects too like Manu Ginobili, where it's like these are dudes who are like y- y- you know I mean you know the player exactly who I'm talking about, where it's like removing the professional uh, artifice, but you're talking about you know you're playing in a rec league or whatever, and these are the dudes who are trying so hard that they're going to hurt somebody, where you're just oh, like yeah. dude you're at an eleven, we're at a five, chill out. Um, <laughs> but clearly like you know Patrick Beverly obviously is at an eleven um, on the professional level, uh, but I just I love to see those players where it's just like you can tell by like the second quarter you know Steph Curry is like seriously leave me the fuck alone like I am tired of you like in my chin constantly um, and I just love those the, the players that wear people down and then that quality of just like the dirty hustle like they're just in your face and they won't let you basically exist as a human being on the court yeah and that's where I mean to bring up what we were talking about before. I would not be surprised to see something between Steve Adams and Draymond Green in this series because oh, totally. those are two of those dudes. I, I read a great article on Steven Adams recently. I had no idea about his history, but, I mean, this guy's a beast. He comes from, like, 18 children in New Zealand. He grew up on rugby. I mean, this is a tough motherfucker. And, like, apparently in one season, I think, like, four people got suspended taking a shot at Steven Adams. <laughs> And his coaches, when asked about it, were laughing because he started all the fights, but, but the other person is the one who swung. So I, and I I have a feeling you're going to see those two, those two, because they both have that energy. I think you're talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do think the, uh, and, and Steven Adams too also has that, uh, basically it's like a serial killer stare where it's like, you could totally see him. Um, you know, just like whatever, you know, stepping on a baby and then just having no reaction to it. Yeah. He would like murder someone, but be like really smart about it and get rid of the body parts and never tell anyone. (laughs) Totally. totally. That would be like Steve Adams. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets questioned about it and he's like, yeah, what, what about it? Oh, he's stone cold. (laughs) Stone cold. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I love that. Well, Betty, this was super fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Basketball podcast. I'm into it. Right. There we go, man. The first first one under the belt. Perfect. Yeah, we, we not bad. We didn't make fools of ourselves. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, that was fun, hopefully. For those of you that are still sticking around to listen to this, uh, I, I hope that you enjoyed the uh, semi-professional. Like, obviously, by no means are we going to be anchors on Sports Center anytime soon. Uh, but I, I think we could chop it up with uh, some basketball people and uh, discuss it in an intelligent manner and not just like, oh, yeah, a guy shoots hoop into basket and he's a really good three-point shooter. It's like, yeah, there's, uh, there's a little more analytical look at this. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some more of these will happen sometime in the near future. So if you enjoyed the show, like I said, please email me, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Reach out to Benny on Twitter. Uh, I'm totally blanking on his, uh, his Twitter handle right now. I want to say it's at Benny Horowitz one could be completely off base, but you can find him relatively easy on the internet to, and tell him if you liked it. Cause uh, you know, well him and I will uh, still continue to discuss whether or not we want to start this thing up uh, maybe in the, uh, the start of the basketball season. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, thank you very much for listening. And uh, like I said, next week is the four year anniversary of the show. And I am so excited about the guest. I'm not going to bury the lead and tell you who it is. Cause I, I tend to do that sometimes on these uh, outros, but um it's a very special person for me because I've been trying to track him down for quite some time to do an interview and he finally agreed and we did it and it was super, super fun. It's a really long one too. So if you like these really, really long conversations, here you go, man. This is why, this is why you love the medium, right? So uh, thank you very much for the support as always. And please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.